So, no, it's, uh, it's awesome to see you guys. Thank you for being here today and worshiping with us and uh, for uh, uh, joining us as we're continuing through uh, our Worth It uh, initiative and talking through Nehemiah. We've been, uh, been teaching through uh, the book of Nehemiah as we're talking about also what God is at the same time leading us to do as a church and uh, just some really exciting stuff, man. Um, and uh, I mean, even even today, I I can't I can't even tell you about things that have happened today that are just absolutely amazing. I can tell you about what happened yesterday, though. Uh, you know, we've been doing the food truck thing for I'm going to guess eight or nine years or something like that. Uh, and uh, we we did that yesterday. If you're not familiar with that, basically we work with Second Harvest Food Bank, and we get a tractor trailer full of food, and then we give it away. Uh, and I mean, it's if you've never been here for when that happens, it's one of the most amazing things that you'll see. Uh, and when I say tractor trailer full, I'm I'm being serious. They literally bring a pallet jack, and they they have the truck comes up full of pallets of food stacked yay high, sometimes higher. We, by the way, the most glorious pallet we ever had one time was like taller than I could reach the top of, and when we took the cardboard off of it. It was nothing but displays of double stuff Oreos, and and we all stood back and were like, ah! it was it was so magical. Uh, that was that was a while ago, but uh, and everybody went home with like five things of Oreos. It was it was so great. <clears throat> we might have had ten at our house, but uh, they got left. Somebody had to take them. Uh, but so, but no, uh, so we, you know, we get this food, it costs money, it, it, you know, it used to cost like $500 a truck, and it turned out that was because of a grant. The grant money ran out, and then it went to costing $3,000 a truck, and that honestly killed a lot of churches from being able to do it whatsoever. Uh, we have continually had people that have believed in this ministry and wanted to see it happen and uh, have helped uh, get money together to help make it happen, and we still do it a couple times a year. Uh, and we give away all that food uh, before noon, uh, usually, usually actually before 11, and then we're here cleaning up, uh, and we're out of here by noon or 12.30 or something usually, but uh, just an amazing opportunity. Uh, basically, the way it works is people come, and then we have all of our people uh, here serving these people that come for the food, and we literally put our people with them with a shopping cart. We borrow shopping carts from uh, the Dollar General, and uh, we literally have people that go through the line with them to help them get their food. We call them personal shoppers. They get to know them, and then they help them get the food in the car, and then they pray with them. And, uh, man, just a, just a fantastic way to get to minister to our community and so many different people in need. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I, I've, and, I, and I'll tell you this, too. Uh, and and we, we serve, you serve, you serve all kinds of people. You serve all kinds of people, you know, socioeconomic stuff. I mean, forget all that. It's not just poor people. It's not, just, I mean, a lot of people just struggle, you know, and, and even some of our own folks or whatever. And, and, and my family has benefited from this at times. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just a, it's just a huge blessing to so many people. But I'll tell you the thing that happened yesterday, it just, that just, I just sat back in awe of it was the number of our people. I, I honestly think that when we got going yesterday morning, we had more volunteers here than we had people to get the food. And, and the, our people were jacked up yesterday. I don't know if they're taking something or what, but they, they were excited to be here. 
the atmosphere of this place yesterday was just unbelievable with people just happy about getting to serve others and love on people. And, and it was just, it was just amazing. It was just amazing. And some of that is, is due to leadership with Gina and other folks and whatnot. But I, you know, I just, I just, I, I said, there were, there was a point where I was like sitting down talking with one of the guys uh, in the church and we were just talking about some things going on in his life. And he was asking me how I was doing. And, and I, I told him at one point, I said, you know, I said, I think this is the first one of these that I've shown up to, and I honestly, I don't know what I could do to actually help because there's so many people doing so many things already that like everything was just, I mean, it was just amazing. It was awesome. And I, and I think, honestly, it, it just goes to show what God, a little piece of what God is doing in our, in our church body right now, in our church's life right now. And, just, uh, and, and it very much goes with what we're talking about today, uh, as, as this message today is called Called to Action. And, uh, and I, had, I had a couple people yesterday make mention to me of like, they're just so grateful that our church doesn't just talk about doing things like this, that we actually do it. Um, and, 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 and I think that's what we're supposed to do. I think we all know that. I think we all agree with that. And so um, it, it's awesome. And I just want to say thank you for, for, for being here if you were a part of that yesterday. Thank you. And uh, by the way, there's a ton of onions, I think literally maybe a ton still, on a pallet in the foyer by the black steeple that's been cut in half and glued to a wall. Uh, if you've never figured out what that was, that's what that is. Uh, but uh, yeah, get some onions on your way out. There's also bags of jalapeno peppers out there. Yeah, Cinco de Mayo for you guys. So, <laughs> woohoo! So yeah, you know, get uh, get some of that stuff and take it home today. That's what's left from yesterday. And uh, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes literally, it's like like we're begging people yesterday to take bags full of jalapeno peppers, and people are like, "Oh no, not me!" You know, it's too hot. You know, so you just end up with stuff left over. And uh, when it's you know that good of stuff, we try to hold on to it for the next day, and anybody that can take it with them and use it, or if you know somebody can use it and you want to take it and give it to them, that's fine too. Uh, but uh, please, please take some of that stuff as you leave today. A uh, couple things I want to make mention of, and then I want to jump into this because uh, I preached too long on the first one as it is, just because we've got so much stuff I'm trying to talk through, and I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange the 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 passage <clears throat> either. But the next couple of weeks, we've got something going. In fact, you got in your seat there uh, the commitment card if, if you sit down, and obviously you did. Uh, and so uh, the commitment cards, we've talked about that a little bit in, the, in weeks past and stuff. Uh, but I just want to make mention of this. This is a tool, okay? I've had some conversations with people this week, just kind of like a little like fuzzy on like, what's the point in this card? Like, why, why am I, why do you want me to do this? What's my, here, here's the point in this. This is a tool. Do you know what a tool is? Okay? I'm talking about like an actual tool, not you call somebody a tool. Okay? That's not good. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I can't even stop myself. Uh, but but this, is, this is only something to help people. And this is what I, I, I told. I had a great conversation with one of our families this week that are intentional about their giving. And I had to explain to them, I said, because they were like, wait, this, we're not real sure if this is really helping us a lot. And I said, well, look, I said, you guys, you guys are already intentionally giving. I knew that because of other conversations that they've had with me and stuff. I said, really, this is, this is just a tool for people to begin to see what it looks like for them to intentionally give or for those of us that do intentionally give to just pray and ask God, God, are you asking me to do more? 
Like, and if, and if so, what's that look like? I was like, so, I was like, here's the deal. I was like, this is between you and the Lord. If you can use it, great. If you can't, throw it in the trash, you know, whatever. I was like, but here's how it will help us, especially the leadership of the church, is next week we're having what's called Commitment Sunday. On Commitment Sunday, you can bring your card, you can turn it in, you'll be able to put it in the offering or whatever next week, and the deal with this is uh, it's not going to be publicized. Nobody's going to see it except for like two people, okay? And then what they're going to do is they're going to give us like the bottom number, and then we're going to add up those bottom numbers. And this helps us as the leadership of the church, the pastors and elders of the church, to track what God is up to right now in the midst of this thing. And this is good for this reason. If, if For no other reason alone, it's good for this reason for us to go, okay, people are feeling led to do this versus, oh, well, nobody's feeling led to do this. Maybe we shouldn't build a building right now, you know? And so, you know, that's, that's kind of where this is coming from. The, the Bubba's and the Redneck Mafia are not going to come to your house if you don't fulfill your commitment. Uh, you know, it, 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 again, it's for you, okay? It's for you. Primarily, it is for you. Uh, that bottom line number is, you know, and, and obviously, you know, in the giving of the card or whatever, that can be an act of worship. It's just something, you know, it's a, something for you and your family to pray about. Let me tell you this. Me and my family are praying about this. Me and my family are praying about this. We're trying to figure out. We talked yesterday. Like, we're trying to figure out what's God leading us to do. We've been intentionally giving forever, but... We're, we're, we're saying, God, what do you, what, if you're leading us to do more, what are you leading us to do? What's that look like? And, so, and, that, and that goes for all the families within the leadership of our church. And so just pray, just pray over it. Just let the Lord speak to you through it. Uh, it's, it's a tool, the good kind. All right, here we go. Get your Bible out. We're going to Nehemiah. If you don't have a, if you don't have a Bible or if you didn't bring your Worth It book, or maybe you haven't gotten a Worth It book because you've been MIA for a little bit or something, uh, let us get you these things right now. Just throw your hand up and let them know which one you need. And if you've got your Worth It book and you want to uh, go to um, the page to take notes on today's message, it is on page 30 in your book, and you can take notes there, and we would love for you to be able to do that. And follow along, and I'm going to try to preach this passage as fast as I can without cutting any of it out, because I don't want to cut any of it out. So I might turn into the micro machine man before it's over with. Remember that guy? Good. Where is that guy at today? If you've if you've never had a chance to watch a Jill Nicolich video, if you don't know Jill, she they got her and her family they come here to church, and uh, man, she can talk so fast, and like I, I get I get I get I get to laughing at her. I, I'm like you know you're like the micro machine girl, so uh, all right. Uh, so this passage in Nehemiah, you know, when we think about Nehemiah, we think about the wall, okay. You know, I'm not talking about Trump's wall either. You know, I'm just talking about Nehemiah's wall. Jerusalem, I'm talking about Old Testament here. And uh, so we think about Nehemiah, we think about the wall that God called him to build. And I think, that, I think that if Nehemiah was here today, I think that if we told Nehemiah that, hey man, you're the, oh yeah, you're the guy that built the wall, Nehemiah would be like, oh, I've heard that a thousand times, you know? Nehemiah would say to us today, it's not about a wall. It was never about the wall. 
It's about the people that are going to live with inside that wall. And I think for us, even as a church now, as we're approaching and seeking what God is leading us to do through the Worth It campaign and all this stuff, you know, yeah, there's going to be a building built or whatever, but it is not about a building. It is not about a building. It, believe me, if, if we do something different, didn't cost any money, you know, let's don't do that, you know, something, you know, it's, it's can't be a, it can't be about a building. It has to be about the call that God has put us, put on us for us to reach out into this community, to do the ministry that he's called us to do, to get our hands dirty in the ways that he's called us to do it, that we would be a church that shows Jesus to those people, loves those people, ministers to those people, has the space to do those things, obviously, is why we're doing that. Well, this passage here brings about some interesting things. It's not really, this passage, this passage is definitely not about a wall. In fact, in fact, what we see is we see that maybe these people have made it so much about a wall that they've been working so hard that they've kind of let go of like some other things in life that are actually more important than the wall. And so we see a moment where Nehemiah's people kind of come and kind of call time out. And they're like, Nehemiah, look, chill. We got, we've got some, we got some big issues to handle right now. Like we, we can't go on building a wall right now. We've, we've, got, we've got to stop. Our families are in jeopardy right now. Nehemiah 5 verse 1 says this. It says, now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brother, Jewish brothers. And there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. So let's kind of stop here for just a second. Uh, you know, there's a couple things that get said right here. The first thing that sticks out to me in verse 1 is we see this outcry coming from wives. Now, as a husband who feels called to protect his bride, uh, when I, I see that, I, I'm, I'm imagining like there's probably a whole lot of dudes here in this passage that you know are in the midst of doing the work on this wall, and they have been diligently working away, like spending all of this time and energy and effort in this and then in the midst of this, they're saying, look, our wives are crying out to us right now. And, and, and there's, there's more to it than that. It says a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So, you know, in, in chapter 4, we had the whole, you know, like there was a whole bunch of stuff going on with, uh, uh, you know, the opposition that was coming from like other leaders other government leaders like trying to come against them and keep them from, you know, building the wall and all this kind of stuff. And there was a little trash talk and, you know, some different things. In this situation, we're talking about within the ranks here, okay? By the way, Satan loves to get in between people, especially when you're talking about like a church. Satan loves to get in between people within the church. You think, think, about, think about how many times you've seen a church torn apart how many times has that really been because of some outside thing? It's almost always an inside. It's, it's, it's always an inside job that Satan's working some angle to get somebody mad at somebody else, and next thing you know, what? Division. 
course, we talked last week about praying toward unity and all those things and how important that really is. Uh, Nehemiah is hearing that within Jewish brothers, within the Israelites, there's something going on between these families that these wives are literally crying out against other Jewish brothers, things they've done. Verse 2, it says, For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. So this whole thing here is leading up, and you'll see a little more about this here in just a minute, is leading up to something that we're seeing happening within God's people where you've got some people with some money and you've got some people who need money and the people with the money are taking advantage of the people that don't have any. And this is where it ends up is to literally the point where it says, it says, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. They've got an issue at hand and it's not that they don't have enough money to pay for their Netflix subscription, which just went up, right? It's not that they don't have enough money so that they can fix up their third or second car that they would like to have running right. They're in a situation where they are literally facing needing to get grain that we may eat and keep alive. And we'll get a little more information about what's going on in this. And I think Nehemiah is awesome to share this with us, especially now 2,000 years later. We can, you know, we are longer than that. We can, we can see like the bigger picture of what's going on. In verse 3 it says, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Because of the famine. So in the middle of this happening, What's going on is that God has led Nehemiah to go do this great work, but he's called Nehemiah to do this great work in the midst of a great famine. Let me ask you a question. (laughs) When was the last time that God led you and put it on your heart to do something that was easy? (laughs) Right? When was the last time that God put it on your heart to do something that was easy? Makes me think of back before we started the church, and I was talking with numerous other pastors and uh, other people that are into church planting and starting. You know, that's, that's starting churches, that kind of thing. And uh, and I would I would end up in these circles of people, and a lot of times like, oh, you're David Royalty's boy, are you starting that new church? Right? Yeah, that's that's me. You know, we're doing that. And they go, well, you know, tell us about that, you know. And so I'd tell them, and I'd kind of like paint the picture. I'd share the vision of what it's going to look like. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was really just student ministry for adults. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then, you know, we get in this conversation. They go, where are you going to plant that church? That sounds like a great church. The world needs more churches like that, you know. And I'd say, well, we're going we're gonna to be in Pleasant View, Tennessee. And they'd stop. <laughs> I, seriously, I can't tell you how many people I had in those conversations say things to me like, well, have you thought about planting that church? And then they'd start naming off these other cities around Nashville. And I won't name them because I don't have anything against them. But they named this one, they named that one, they named this one, they named that one. And what I heard was they named to me all of the, all of the areas that had money. 
And I'd say, well, you know, (laughs) there's like 15 or 20 church plants in almost all of those places that you just said to me. And really, I'm, I'm feeling led to go back to where I'm from, feeling to, led to plant something where we're going to minister to people I grew up with and, and hopefully bring them along, that they're going to be a part of the mission of God for his glory in that place. And nobody's planting churches there. What they were saying was, if you go plant churches in these other places, it would be a lot easier on you. And, you know, to some degree, they're probably right. Probably right. But God rarely calls us to do things that are easy. God called Nehemiah to go build this wall. In a moment in time, it was really hard. I mean, I think, I think back to just what the recession was like. The recession was hard on tons of families that I know. The recession was even hard on our church during that time. That was a hard time. You know, and, and still, I don't know of things like what people experienced in the Great Depression or what it's like to be in a famine, you know. But here we have this instance where people are mortgaging, here it says, verse 3, mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. To get grain because of the famine. I took an equity line out on my house one time to buy a hot rod. These people are trying to get mortgages on their fields to get some grain, okay? That's some perspective. Verse 4, it goes on, it says, And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children, as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. In other words, they're saying, we've mortgaged all of our stuff. We don't own anything that we can mortgage anymore. We don't have the grain to eat. We're in a famine, so we can't grow it. And then on top of all this, now our children are in slavery and we can't afford to buy them out because we don't have anything to mortgage because other men already own our fields and vineyards. Slavery. Their kids are slaves. Like that rabbit hole is so deep, we don't even have the time to go there, but I'm just telling you that's... I just know in my heart that, that that's bad. That wasn't just like they were getting kids to like do some painting around the house for them type slavery stuff. I'm talking about bad stuff, and you know what I mean. They're kids. They couldn't save their kids. And here they are, they've been working on this wall. And they're like, Nehemiah, dude, like we're in a bad situation right now. What do we even do? And Nehemiah is about to get angry. How do I know? Verse 6, it says, I was very angry. I was very angry when I heard the outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest from each from his brother. And I held a great assembly 
against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. He's talking about like when Jewish people went to exile and God brought them out of that. You know, he's like, we've been in slavery once. We've got everybody out of slavery and now you're, you're taking them back. Basically, he says, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. You want to know why they couldn't find a word to say? Here's why they couldn't find a word to say. And by the way, kudos to Nehemiah for stepping up to the plate and speaking up on behalf of the people because we, we switched gears. I don't know if you realize that. We switched gears from the people sharing with Nehemiah to Nehemiah being angry and a Nehemiah stepping up to take some action. And Nehemiah goes to the source and he calls them out and he says, you are exacting interest each from his brother. What's the big deal with that, right? I mean, you know, we get loans, we go to a bank, we got a mortgage on the house, all that kind of stuff. No, 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 this is different. This is different. Here's why it's different. The law. The law of God. At this point in time in history, these people were under the law. Stuff like the Sabbath, you know, like, you know, take, take rest on the seventh day kind of thing. Why, why did they do that kind of thing? Well, First of all, because God knew that they needed rest. Secondly, because God was like, I want to show the world that my people don't have to work every day to survive because I'm the one that provides, not them. For them, one of the things that was in the law, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, was that you don't charge a brother, talking about a fellow Israelite, okay? You don't charge a brother interest. Now, it's not talking to the banker who's charging some other nationality or whatever. You know, you know, it's not talking about that. This is God's, this was God's plan as part of his law at this point in time that God's people wouldn't charge their people interest. And, and seen just kind of like the Sabbath thing, it was an opportunity for God to show out that God's people take care of each other. And that God uses them to do this. And in fact, to the point that literally, that like God's people see it as like, you know, well, I'm going to, you need, you need some money for that. Okay, well, I'm going to give you some money and you just pay it back whenever you can. No interest involved. And the reason being was, again, so that people outside of God's people could see that God was using them to help one another. And they didn't even have to make money off each other because, again, he's the one that provides. Huge. And Nehemiah's staring them down, and he's like, uh, you guys are exacting interest, each from his brother. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. Verse 9, it says, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations our enemies? You know, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's got some guts. I mean, he, he, you know, I don't know if it was the anger. I wonder how long, you know, before, like, he called this little thing, you know, to get everybody together or whatever. But, I mean, I mean, he's coming out guns a-blazing on this thing, you know? I mean, like, first of all, he's, call, he's calling out the, let's, let's, let's look at this for what it really is. He's calling out the people with the money 
who are the people that have been taking advantage of the people that didn't have the money, which as a leader, and you're talking about within your people as a leader, that can totally backfire on you, you know? But he calls them out on what they're doing. And then furthermore, he says to them, ought you not to walk in the fear of God? He's like, are you guys not scared of the Lord and what he might do to you right now? Holy cow. And he goes on in verse 10 and it says, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. So he's, he's now including himself in this. And he says, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. And then look what he says. Let us abandon this extracting of interest. He says, us. He takes ownership in this. Nehemiah wasn't stupid. I'm sure he knew what was going on. He didn't realize, apparently, like the part that it was playing in on the lives of all of these families, though. He says, let us abandon this extracting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been extracting from them. I'll tell you what. Try something tomorrow morning. Head on down to your bank tomorrow where you've got your mortgage for your house, for your cars, whatever, whatever you got, whatever you got. Go on down there and say, hey, we were in church yesterday, and it led me to come down here to have a conversation with you, and your loan officer is going to be sitting there at the desk, and they're going to be all so happy. You know, they're always so happy and stuff to see you. And, 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 and say to them, you know, well, we've been, we've been working on some things and thinking about something, and they're going to go, oh, well, that's great. Are you, wanting to, are you wanting to refinance? Are you wanting to change the term? And, you know, do you need to borrow some more money to do something fun? Or, you know, what, you know, what are, we, are we building a new house? What's, what's going on, right? And say, well, you know, I was reading this thing in the Bible, and, and, you know, and so it got to the point where, you know, Nehemiah, he just said to them, you know, just give them all their stuff, and forgive the debts. And I figured I'd come down here and see if we could just do that today. That'd be great, right? <laughs> Good luck. If anybody, if anybody gets in on it, I, I need a phone call or something. I, Facebook Live or something for us. Let, us. let us in on it. Here's the big deal. This is God's people to God's people, and they were called at that time to not do this to each other. But I don't, I don't know if that was a bigger deal as, as the deal of like Nehemiah still willing to like stand up to what was going on and literally looking at these people and he's, and he's saying, look, um, I think you need to give all the stuff back. Oh, and I think you need to give back the money that was charged in interest too. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking like as businessman, businessman, I'm, I'm thinking, what? Right? And in verse 12, we see their response. And they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. 
I also shook out the fold of my garment. This is something he's doing in front of them as like an actual, like visible, like I'm doing this, you know, kind of a thing right now. And he shakes out the fold of his garment, it says. And uh, so, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. And he's, and he's making this visible, like, statement to them. He's like, as I'm shaking out the fold in this and whatever dust is collected in this right now, may God shake you out if you don't follow through with doing what you should do right now and keeping this promise, he says. So, he, so may he be shaken out and emptied, and all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And when they said amen, what they're doing is they're agreeing. They're saying, yes, we're going to do this. And the people did as they had promised. The passage here switches gears. And you go from Nehemiah dealing with this situation to Nehemiah beginning to share what he's doing personally. I think this is pretty awesome, by the way. Verse 14, it says, it says, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor, which by the way, this is the first instance that we know of where, Nehemiah, where we find out Nehemiah has been made governor. So apparently, you know, remember he's cupbearer to the king, so he's tight with the king, but the king has figured out, oh, Nehemiah is so about this, this area they're like, I should make him the governor over it because nobody's going to care for this area the way Nehemiah is going to care for this area. So let's make Nehemiah the governor. Well, he's the governor now, and that comes with power, and it comes with some money and all kinds of things. We're going to see what that turns into. He says, I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. So a governor would have gotten money for all kinds of things, but one of those things would have been to feed him and his family and whatever people are like hanging around or whatever. And in verse 15, it goes on, it says, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on the wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Now, before you start to think, oh, Nehemiah is tooting his horn here. Nehemiah's right, you got to remember, Nehemiah's writing this. So we have this as like record. So this is part of history for us to understand like pieces like he mentioned, the famine, things like that, so that we would have a better understanding sometime later of what was really going on. And so Nehemiah is sharing a little bit of what his heart is here by what he's feeling led to do. And he's even saying, this is why I'm doing this. He's not, this isn't Nehemiah looking for a gold star. You know, he's saying, you know, governors before me, Lord, over them, you know, ration them for silver, you know, all these things. He said, but uh, I, I, it says, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. He's saying, I know this isn't what God wanted me to do. I'm following the Lord here with what I feel like he's leading me to do. And in verse 17, it goes on, it says, moreover, 
there were more, uh, there were there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. So Nehemiah is giving us a little glimpse of like, he's taking care of all of these people around him, and he's still not taking what he could be taking as the governor, right? He's feeling led that in this moment when his people are suffering that he should suffer too. He's saying, I, I can't be different than them. And in verse 18 it says, Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember, for my good, this is Nehemiah now praying to God. This is like a little prayer thrown in here. He says, remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah is setting for us an example. He's setting for us an example. If you look over this, if you look over this passage, if you look over this part of the story, you see a couple things. In fact, if you want to take some notes there on page 30 or something, you're more than welcome to, but you see Nehemiah come against several things. One of the things is, first of all, God calls him into this during a famine. Calls him into this during a famine. He also calls him into this when the people are under taxation. And that's from the king, but you don't see Nehemiah fighting that. You see Nehemiah fighting this other issue that's the bigger issue at hand, because Nehemiah fully believed in, you know, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and all that. Nehemiah is going further here. He, he's taking care of like all these people that are doing wrong against each other, where they're where they're charging each other these crazy, ridiculous interests, and you know, taking their fields and their kids are going into slavery and all this craziness. Thirdly, you see that these families are in a bad situation between not being able to eat their wives, their children, slavery, all, all of the stuff. I mean, it's, it's all right there. Nehemiah steps up to action. We see Nehemiah, and I would, if you're writing, I'd, I'd put these things down. We see Nehemiah do several things here. The first one is he listens. He listens to the people. He listens to the people, and he listens to God. The second thing is he speaks up. He calls out wrongs that are being committed by others. It's a whole lot easier to go through life not calling out wrong, right? I mean, we all know that, right? Like it's, you know, you see somebody do something you're not supposed to do, and you're like, oh, great. Oh, I, don't, I don't want to get involved. You know, I don't, you know that's, that's typical, right? He speaks up. Third thing is he calls them to make a promise to change, to give back the money, to give back the land, to give back all those resources. I mean, think about it. think about all those resources. I mean, let's just let's just say you really like the wine alone, and you're like, well, I don't want to give back the wine. I mean, we can give back all the other stuff. We can at least keep the wine, right? 
Nehemiah's like, nope, give it all back. Give it all back. He's like, we're talking about a people that are starving right now. You guys are holding this stuff over their heads. He calls them to make a promise. Makes the commitment card look kind of low on the totem pole, right? Verse 4, or, uh, the fourth thing he does is he sets for them an example. We see Nehemiah set an example for his people. He could have taken, he could have taken the, the, the stuff for the governor. I mean, he could have totally done that. And then what? And then what? He'd be, he'd be the guy that's like, oh, Nehemiah is just like the rest of those politicians, you know. Became a governor. Now he's eating lobster tails every day. Here we are over here looking for a piece of grain. Nehemiah's like, that's not the way this is going to be. We're going to suffer together through this. We're going to do this together. Folks, that's what it takes. It takes us doing it together. Everything that God will ever lead us to as a church, He's going to lead us to it together. Not in sections, not, you know, all the, the rich people over here, they're going to help you. Not, no, forget all that. God wants to use us together to accomplish the mission that he has put in front of us. And just like for Nehemiah, for us, it's going to take courage. It's going to take conviction. Conviction. Nehemiah's conviction was so strong. You weren't going to waver the man. I mean, given, given a hard moment, where he might have backed up and said, well, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know what to do about that right now. No. What's Nehemiah do? He gets angry. And he speaks up. He's going to call us to be focused. He's going to call us to hard work. He's going to call us to sacrifice. Sacrifice is a part of it. We will have to give up things along the way. I'm praying about that for my own family right now. What is it, God, that you're leading my family to give up so that this can happen? What are you leading us to? What does that look like? It can't be about money. It can't be about buildings. It can't be about trends. It can't be about what we want. It's about the stuff that we see on page 12 in that book. It's about the mission that God has called us to to reach out, to go after the people in our community that are a part of our mission field, that our hearts would break for the things that break God's heart. That when we hear about people hurting in our community, we don't say things like, well, I'm just glad that's not in my neighborhood. Or, you know, that's not my problem because, you know, that's their problem. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have ever gotten into that addiction. They shouldn't have ever, you know, done that thing or whatever. How about, how about we look at what Jesus says for us to do? What about what, what did Jesus call us to do? 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet, yet closes his heart against them. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word 
or talk, but in deed and in truth. Step on toes much. Stepping on mine. It's stepping on mine. It's a call for me to recognize that God has blessed me, blessed my family in great ways. We may not have the biggest bank account in the world, but Lord knows He's given us resources, connections, relationships, time, the breath that we breathe, the talents with our hands that God could use. If God were to use all of us, we would allow Him to use all of us as a body of believers to go and minister to the people of our community. What in the world would that look like? What in the world would that look like? Back in 1894, a little baseball history for you today. I love baseball history, if you didn't know that, uh, although I can't remember all, all of it right now. <clears throat> but um, back in 1894, there was a game being played on May, 4, May 15th uh, between uh, Boston and Baltimore. Baltimore at that time was already the Orioles. Uh, Boston was uh, uh, something with beans. I can't remember the name of their team at that time. It was something with beans, though. So. Bean Eaters. Who said that? John. Did you look that up since the first service? <laughs> I couldn't remember the first one either. I never did look it up. So the Bean Eaters. Yeah, the Boston Bean Eaters. That was the, that was the name of the team there at that time. You thought they were always the Red Sox. Well, there was the Braves and then the Red Sox and all this other. So anyway, uh, at this game, something happened. Something that looks like from it's from 2019, which... I think it's kind of awesome about how baseball is and how it kind of transcends time a little bit. But uh, John McGraw uh, was playing uh, for the Orioles and Tommy Tucker playing for the Bean Eaters. And uh, Tommy was sliding into third base where John McGraw was playing uh, third base. And uh, John, you may know his name if you know anything about baseball, uh, because he went on to become a great manager and he was more well-known for that than he was as a player. But in this moment, he's playing third, and Tommy comes sliding into third, and apparently John kicks Tommy in the process, cleats him real good, you know, as he's coming into third. And, uh, and he hurts him, and of course, Tommy gets up, and, and, a, and a fight ensues, and what looks like 2019, the bench is clear, Right? And so here comes both teams on the field, and all of a sudden you've got this huge fight going on. And then in the stands, the same thing starts to happen as Oriole fans and Bean Eater fans are now fighting amongst each other and all this, and this you know, bunch of crazy stuff. And they finally get everything calmed down, but everybody is so wound up by everything going on that nobody's paying attention that there's a kid underneath the bleachers who's smoking a cigarette and throws it down and this catches fire on some of the trash under the bleachers, also sounds like 2019. And, and, and so a fire, and of course, at this point in time in history, you're talking about, you're talking about a, uh, a structure, ball stadium, that's completely wooden. I mean, everything built out of wood. And so in Boston, on this day, this beautiful double-decker uh, just glorious-looking ball field of a thing that they had built out of wood catches fire. And within 45 minutes, the thing burns to the ground. Well, as if that isn't bad enough, because the ballpark had caught fire, 
it starts catching buildings around it on fire. And before it's over with, almost 200 structures burn to the ground. Why? Because two guys got in a fight at third base and nobody would step in and stop it. Over 1,900 people became homeless over a bad play. And folks, I think that if we're not paying attention, that's exactly what happens when we decide to not get involved. When we decide to not say anything about a fellow brother's sin and speaking up in a loving way and saying, hey, I'm concerned about you, what's going on? Much less, what's it look like for us to turn our back on areas of our community and say, that's not our community, that's not part of my community, that's another, that's another community, that's, you know, I don't have anything to do with that. They're pretty much going to burn their own house down. Folks, if you think that that's not going to have any effect on more and more people, I'm just telling you, you're wrong. I'm telling you, that Christmas day that I got to stand in front of this family's house when the sheriff's department called me in to come and console a nine-year-old boy because his dad had overdosed that morning. The effects of that will ripple forever in that young man's life. And I'm going to say this, because it ripples forever in his life, it should ripple forever in ours. We can't pretend like it's not going on. And we can't pretend like we're not called to do something about it. I'm going to have Ben come up and share um, for just a second about, uh, we're going to go through the commitment card again. I just want to make sure that people have a clear understanding of what this looks like and what this is for. And I'll say this again. Again, this is, this is something to hopefully be helpful. This is something to be helpful for you and helping. I had, a, I had a great conversation this week with one of the families in our church that are intentionally giving right now. They're already intentionally giving. And they were just being honest with me. And, and believe me, I welcome honest conversation at any point. You can have honest conversations with me. I welcome it. I'm glad to have it. Uh, and they were saying to me, Chris, just to be honest with you, and this thing kind of feels like a little bit of a stumbling block to us. We're just trying to figure out how this fits into our life. And I told them, I said, well, you, you know, and I knew that they were, I already knew that they were intentionally trying to give and have been doing so for, for a long time, whatever. And I said, so you guys are a bit of an anomaly. I said, you guys need to know that. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, because one of the things that we've learned at 24 is that very few people over the years have been intentionally trying to let God lead them in their offerings, in their, in their giving. And I said, I don't mean that bad toward people. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's, it's, you know, we've been a church. We don't want to talk about money a lot or whatever because of how people have burned those bridges in the past, which is uh, really just dumb, you know, looking at it now. And, and we know that uh, because it's something that God's called us to. And Jesus talks about money all through Scripture. And we know that he talks about money because he knows it's going to be such a, a big issue for us and our hearts 
I mean, you think, I saw this written actually earlier this week. You know, it, it's one of those things of like, you know, we will be a people that says, God, lead us, lead us, lead us in all these things. Lead us to be great parents. Lead us to be great spouses. Lead us to be, you know, great employees or great bosses or whatever it is that, God, you're leading us to do. And then when it's like, you know, it comes to our money, like, lead us to do with our money what you want us to. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. wait a second, God, we've got, we got to talk about this for me. Let, let me. let me go over and see what we can do now. You know, let me, let me kind of check that out. So, this is to be helpful for us as a tool. Uh, the only, the only thing that it's helping us do as a church, again, is to establish kind of where we are and that people are committed to this. We want to make sure that we're doing the right thing as the leadership of the church. Ben, why don't you tell us all about it? I've screwed this up every time I've done it, so we're going to see think, if... I think it's fantastic. <laughs> ben and I used to be youth pastors together, and we'd get on stage together on Wednesday nights, and we would do like this little Esteban thing, and he would have his guitar, and he $99 guitars, and he'd like say something like on the... You remember the Esteban commercials where he was selling $99 guitars? Remember that? And Ben would be Esteban, and then I would ask questions, and then I would like try to sell the guitar. It was it was good. It was it was, good it was actually pretty. It was, it was actually, kind of Tonight Show esque. It, yeah, so. it was it was actually pretty fair. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we don't want to be redundant, but we realize um, these five blinks can be a little confusing. We know that because we've gotten a few cards back, and yes, clearly people are are slightly confused. So you got you got your giving profile on one of this on one side of this, and that just kind of shows you guys how how statistically, and we didn't just make this up, but statistically, kind of how we get to one point seven five million. Um, and so you, you may look in here and just kind of figure out maybe where you are on that. Uh, but the main part that we want you to focus on here is this, um, the side with the five blanks. And again, we're asking uh, everybody to bring these back next week to turn in for Commitment Sunday. But I just want to give a couple scenarios for how this might work for you, um, just like we did last week, but different scenarios this week. So let's say you're here, and to be honest, you've never given. Uh, maybe you're newer to the faith. And, and you just didn't realize that you're supposed to give or, or maybe been around for a while and, and God's beginning to convict your heart. Like, I need to honor him with my money. So, you, you know, last year you gave, you didn't give anything. Uh, and so now as you're just prayerfully thinking through this, the, the number that's landed on you is, is $100 a month. And so as God's dealing with your heart, you're like, man, I can do that. That fits within our budget. That's what I feel like the Lord's leading me to do. And so you're going to make $100 a month, $1,200 year commitment. And then that third line, you double it because it's a two-year commitment, so it would be 2400 And then you've got a little bit of other money just kind of laying around. You don't really have it earmarked for anything. And again, as you're spending time with the Lord, and, and he's just saying, I want you to give that extra 500 to the church to this as well. And so you've, you've got that 500 laying around. And so your two-year worth of commitment in that case, if this was you, would be $2,900. Uh, and that's, that's how you would fill out those those blanks. Uh, scenario number two, let's say you're in a different place. Let's say last year um, your intention was to give $500 a month uh, to the church, but like many of us, and I even find myself sometimes in this, like things got tight or Christmas came or I just forgot, and all of a sudden you're a month behind and you can't really make up the difference. So you intended to give $500 a month, but you only gave it for eight of the months, and so let's see if I can do this right. <laughs> so you gave uh, $4,000 last year to the church. But as, again, you're talking to God and you're going through this process, you really feel like him saying, number one, I want you to give every month and not miss. Make that a priority. Make it a recurring giving 
thing online if you need to, whatever you need to do in your sin. That's what I want to do. And secondly, as we prayed, I want to give a little bit more than 500 a month. I want to give closer to what a tithe would be for me. And again, we're not a people under a tithe, but tithe is a great way to kind of check yourself out and see how you're doing. It's a great guideline to go by. And so in your family's case, $600 a month would be really close to to 10% of your annual income. And so as you pray about it, you're like, I'm supposed to give $600 a month, all 12 months. And so that would be $7,200. And then you double that, that would be $14,400 over two years. Double and that then, for the two years. Yeah. For the two years. Yeah, because two-year commitment. And then you've got some other money, let's say in this instance, that you've been given to another nonprofit. And it's a good nonprofit. But again, as you're just praying, you feel like the Lord's saying, I want you to take that money that you were given to them, and I, I want you to give it to this. And so you're going to take this extra $2,000 that you were giving to another good cause because it's all the Lord's money. And the Lord said, give it here instead of there. And so you do that, and so then your two-year worth of commitment would be $16,400. Again, this is, yeah, I didn't screw it up. I don't think I did. Uh, Somebody tell me afterwards if I did. But um, One out of four is not bad. Yeah, there we go. Um, But this is how you fill out this card. And so think, you know, what did I give last year? What's the Lord leading me to give this year? Double it because it's two-year commitment. And then are there any uh, gifts from stored resources that you feel the Lord give, leading you to give? A stored resource might also be something that you just feel like God's laying on your heart saying, you know what, you own that thing, but you're not really using it. You could sell that. That money could go to this or whatever, you know, that, that and, kind of thought. And, and I, I, like, we have Derek. Uh, some of you have seen Derek around. He's kind of our guy helping us think through all this. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the brains uh, behind the worth it commitment. But he said, you know, we're not asking anybody you know, to give up their vacation money or to give up money that they need. Like, that's, it's between you and God. What's God leading you to give? How, you know, what, what's, what's feasible and what's he asking you to do? Yeah. That's all we're asking from him. And he, and he like, like we talked about, he may lead you to sacrifice. There might be some kind of sacrifice in there. Maybe, maybe the vacation this year isn't Disney World. Maybe it's, you know, Gatlinburg or something, you know. Go to China Bazaar, you know, get some swords or something. But, um, you know... It's, uh, you know, it, it, again, it's between you and the Lord. And, and, and listen, our giving, our offerings, our offerings should never be anything that's done out of guilt. This is not a guilt thing. We don't want, we don't want you to give out of guilt. We're, we're called in Scripture to give with joy. So if that's the heart in which God is leading you to as he leads you to do this, and, and if this stuff's helpful, then great. That's awesome. You know, one of the things, you know, we talked about next week we're doing the commitment, the commitment Sunday, and we're asking people to be, to be prayerful and, and, and thinking about filling out these cards and bringing those back for Commitment Sunday next weekend, next Sunday, uh, as a part of your worship time even, that uh, you'll be able to turn that card in or whatever. Uh, and again, that's only we've seen by a couple of people. The, the biggest thing for us is those people are going to take that bottom number and, you know, get numbers. We'll add those numbers up and kind of see where we are and how many families are being involved and feeling committed to this and that kind of thing. Uh, and that's, that's what we're after. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then the Sunday after that, we're also doing what we call the big give. And so on that Sunday, we've never, other than, you know, like when somebody's going through some kind of tragedy and the church is like, hey, we're going to take up a special offering for something, we've never said, hey, let's like have an offering to see like what we can really do here kind of thing. And so on Big Give Sunday in two weeks, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're going to see 
uh, we're, we're praying that we might have the biggest offering that we've ever seen in 24 church history. We don't even know, we don't even know what that is. In fact, somebody in the first service said, well, can we find out what that is so we can see if we can kind of shoot above that? And I said, that's a great question. I have no idea. So uh, I've already talked to Deb. She's going to try to help us figure out what that is. Uh, and then uh, and that day will be kind of like a kickoff day in our minds and, you know, and our commitment or whatever of like this starts us giving on this kind of two-year commitment thing of where we're feeling led to go, whatever that looks like uh, for you and your family. So uh, <clears throat> commitment, commitment Sunday, next Sunday uh, for the cards and all that stuff, and then the big gives the week after that. There's nothing magical about any of that stuff. It's just, it's just again, just, you know, hey, let's, let's see what we can do together kind of thing. Let's, uh, you know, uh, let, let's just see, let's see what God's up to, uh, and we're, we're excited about that. You know, again, in your book, you've got the book, uh, you've got the, the elements of all of this, the vision, uh, what we're trying to help do, the urgency, uh, the one fund concept, all those things between pages 16 and 18. Read through all that stuff. Be praying over all this. Uh, at the end of the day, this is really about, this is really about people knowing Jesus. That's what this is about. This isn't about buildings. It's not about money. Uh, I'm not a great fan of talking about money. I'm not a great fan of talking about buildings and all that stuff, uh, but they're tools. They're, they're just things that we can use uh, for the kingdom. And, uh, you know, as, as we process this together, uh, just be praying. Be praying that God would lead you uh, to do whatever he's leading you to do. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, I want you to understand something. The most important thing that I can tell you today doesn't have anything to do with any of the stuff we've been talking about here except for the part of, like, this is about people coming to know Jesus, is that... Uh, we we want you to know, we want you to know Jesus as your Savior. We want you to understand that God the Father sent His Son to die the death that we deserve for our sin. That if you trust in Him, that He is enough. He only is enough to forgive you of your sin, <clears throat> to give you eternal life, to give you freedom from that sin, that you might find new life in this world. New life, a new life. Maybe you're at a place in your life right now where you, you say, Chris, I need a new life. Well, that's what Jesus is giving. giving. That's what he's offering. And, and this morning, he would love to give that to you. And if you, don't, if you don't even know what that means, if you don't know what it means to like have freedom from sin, like I would love to talk with you. Like Let's talk, let's talk after the service. Today. Let's pray together about that. Let's just see what God is doing in your heart if he's speaking to your heart about that. This morning, I want to close with a, with a video in just a minute uh, of one of our families in the church, uh, Kevin and Dana, the firecracker Wallace. And uh, you'll understand why I call her the firecracker after you watch this video. Uh, but uh, just more testimony of what God is doing in the hearts of our people. And I'm praying that God is doing something in your heart too something maybe even worth sharing on video here in the days to come. I would love to hear what God is doing in your life. This is all for him, and in the process of this, we are being called to action. May God find us faithful in doing so. Let's pray together. God, we come to you now. God, we, we ask, Lord, that you would save the lost. God, and that includes anybody that's listening to this right now that doesn't know you, hasn't trusted in you but it also includes those people that you're calling us to get our hands dirty and be in the lives of in the days to come. God, help us to be faithful in taking the gospel to those people. 
God, help us answer the call to action that you have called us to. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have in front of us. God, be glorified in us as your church. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.